Pushkin. Did you know some travel credit cards offer 10 times points on your spending? Don't miss out on big rewards for your next trip. NerdWallet lets you compare smart travel credit cards side by side, curated by an expert team of finance nerds. What could future you do with better travel rewards? A free flight? A room upgrade? Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. Reminder, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. NerdWallet. Finance smarter. Willie Nelson, Waylon Jennings, Chris Christopherson. Before they were legends of outlaw country, they were lost souls looking for their sound. Don't miss Mandy Moore in the new scripted Audible original, The Boar's Nest, Sue Brewer and the birth of outlaw country music. Discover the true untold story of the extraordinary woman behind the outlaw country music movement and its biggest stars. Hear how one woman's vision and her tiny living room, far from Nashville's Music Row, became the epicenter of a musical movement. Mandy Moore as Sue Brewer in The Boar's Nest. Listen now at audible.com slash the Boar's Nest. The most innovative companies are going further with T-Mobile for Business. The PGA of America is helping lower scores and elevate fan experiences with AI coaching tools and 5G-connected cameras. AAA is getting more drivers back on the road fast with location telematics. And the Las Vegas Grand Prix is powering race day operations with 5G connectivity, giving fans an experience at the speed they deserve. This is accelerating innovation with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at tmobile.com slash now. Hey there, it's Justin Richmond. Today we have a special Broken Record holiday episode with Nashville singer-songwriter Amanda Shires. We're going to start things off with an exclusive acoustic performance of her new song, Home to Me, from the album For Christmas. You said there's ice on the runway Ice on the wings Ice everywhere And nothing will bring You home to me Home to me Home to me I don't want to talk It's too cold to walk I keep looking for you But all I find is frost You should come home Home to me, home 
That was Amanda Shires singing Home to Me. Shires new holiday album for Christmas isn't meant to make you feel merry and bright. Instead, it's an acknowledgement of the complicated feelings that a lot of us have around the holidays, like disappointment, longing, and maybe even a little bit of lust. In addition to her solo career, Amanda Shires plays fiddle and sings in her husband Jason Isbell's band, The 400 Unit. She's also a founding member of the female country supergroup, The High Women with Brandy Carlisle. But way before she hit it big in Nashville with all of that, Shires played fiddle with the Texas Playboys, the legendary western swing band started by Bob Wills that she joined when she was just 12 years old. On today's episode, Bruce Hedlum talks to Amanda Shires about what inspired her to write a non-traditional Christmas album. Shires also explains how finding out that her grandfather served decades in Alcatraz raised a ton of questions about her family's history. And she recalls what happened the time she discovered Jason Isbell ripped off one of her lyrics. This is Broken Record, liner notes for the digital age. I'm Justin Richmond. Here's Bruce Hedlum with Amanda Shires. First of all, Amanda Shires, thank you so much for doing this. Thank you for having me. People who know your music, which is moody and very evocative might be surprised that you had a Christmas album out. I was surprised you had a Christmas album out. So tell me what the thinking was going into this. I am surprised to have a Christmas record out. Of all the things I I'd never thought I would do was a Christmas record. But I think the catalyst for it all was just going into this year, knowing that Christmas is going to probably resume to some sort of sense of normalcy as opposed to last year. Mm-hmm. Last year, I was really happy not hearing all the Christmas jams and going out shopping and all that, you know? Not, that's not to say I didn't miss a lot of stuff about normal holidays. So that was what started it all. I was like, that, that might be a good song idea in there. And then I started writing one song, and then I wrote ten, and then I covered one. Now, when you were growing up, I think most people had like a favorite holiday album. Did you have a holiday album at home that you were thinking of when you did this? I really liked the Vince Giraldi. I really liked that one in... Um, Burl Ives, you know. And my mom listened to a lot of, like, Pavarotti and... What are those folks' names, those Irish folks that sing Christmas songs? And they're, like, operatic. The Chieftains? Yes, that! You did it! The Chieftains, yes! Because uh, uh, 
she's, you know, Irish and whatnot. But she was Irish? Your mom? Well, we just found out, actually, that um, we don't know what we are, because my granddad, turns out, was in Alcatraz, and nobody knew it until after he died. So we don't really know where he was from in the end. He was incarcerated in Alcatraz? Yeah, for 25 years, one of the first 200. But when he got out, this when he started a family with my grandmother. But nobody knew any of this this stuff about Alcatraz and all this until our merchandise guy gave me a family tree, like a complete one, because his, his uh, uncle is uh, one of those genealogist types. And I was looking through it, and I was like, that can't be real. Is that real? And then we hired a private investigator, and <laughs> turns out it's true. That's amazing. Can you tell us what he was in for? Yeah, he was a, a young man that was a career criminal, uh, car thieves, and you know how the money used to be in the post offices? Yeah. So he held up a post office and he took the postmaster's child and wife hostage and nothing happened to them, but mm-hmm. except for obviously some kind of trauma. But yeah, when he got caught... After that, he um, went to Alcatraz. Did you know your grandfather? Uh, when I was young, I did for a little while, and he passed away. He was he's quite a, old at that point. But, yeah, I think that's going to shed some light on a lot of different things in my life, probably. <laughs> <laughs> well, when you do your uh, Christmas in Alcatraz album. Exactly. So there's elements to that in my Christmas record, you know. People go to prison, you know. John Prine had a song, Christmas in Prison. That's right, yeah. So you're going to play some songs for us. So tell me first about Home to Me. Home to Me captures a feeling of wishing folks were around that aren't, well, at Christmas time or any other time. And I think that that's feelings we all have around the holiday season and any season. It's kind of a desperate um, plea for reconciliation, I guess. Uh, Was that your feeling last year with Christmas when you were isolated? I feel that way about different people in it that come in and out of my life and then different family members and I kind of wrote it in a way where I was trying to apply it to to different types of relationships that I've had but mostly it's like a love relationship when I think about it pretty hard I just like to mask all my true feelings with you know other feelings feelings are complicated Because to me, I thought it was a romantic song. Right, totally. Or a song about a romantic relationship. But really, you were talking about something else? I'm, I'm talking about that, but I don't want the folks that um, feel moved by the song and wish that it was their own father or somebody to feel waylaid in the outcome, of finding out that it is like a wanting a love relationship. But I guess I should trust my audience. Uh, it reminded me, this song, that holiday songs can be actually the saddest songs. Mm-hmm. It seemed to me the flip side of that old song, I'll Be Home for Christmas. Right. Which was a big wartime song. This seemed like from the other end, like Come Home. It, it is that for sure. I mean, I'll just start being honest about it. Who cares? It's like, you know, you want somebody in your life and it's just not going right. And it sucks worse around Christmas. Yeah, things suck worse <laughs> around Christmas. Yeah. <laughs> Let's go back a bit. You grew up in Texas and you grew up, is it true you grew up near Mineral Wells? I was born in Mineral Wells, population 14348, and um, my dad and my grandparents and stuff still live out there. And then when my dad and mom split up, I um, lived with my mom in Kansas City, and then Lubbock is where she finally settled down. I don't know Texas very well. I've only been there a few times. Mm-hmm. I only knew Mineral Wells from the Tom Russell song. 
I didn't know it was a real place. It's a real place. I have a song called Mineral Wells, too. Okay, this is embarrassing because I totally missed that. Listen, I'm a little bit embarrassed that I tried to lie off my feelings on a Christmas song a minute ago, so we're even. (laughs) Well, we're going to get deeper into your feelings. Don't worry. Oh, good. Okay, I have to ask you, because a lot of people compare your voice to Dolly Parton's voice, and that's, of course, a compliment. When did you first meet Dolly Parton? I met her at uh, RCA Studio A for rehearsals for the Highwaymen Newport show. Now, what was that like? I mean... I asked her assistant the day before, I said, what do you think Dolly Parton would would like me to wear? Because I really want to make a good impression. (laughs) She said, probably leather and lace. And so I went home and the next day I put on leather and lace and sure enough, it worked. I waited, I got there early and she came in and we talked about our leather and lace a lot and it was magical and terrifying. I mean, watching her work is 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 an incredible thing. We'll be right back with more from Amanda Shires after a quick break. Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA Salt Lake City Branch, subject to credit approval. Terms apply. Willie Nelson, Waylon Jennings, Chris Christopherson. How did the biggest names in outlaw country start a musical revolution? Through one woman's vision from one tiny living room. Don't miss Mandy Moore as Sue Brewer in the new scripted Audible original, The Boar's Nest. Sue Brewer and the birth of outlaw country music. Discover the true untold story of the extraordinary woman behind the outlaw country music movement and its biggest stars. Brewer helped shape the sound and soul of country music as we know it today, despite never picking up an instrument herself. Lovingly dubbed The Boar's Nest, Sue's Place was an intimate staging ground where a new breed of singer-songwriters, wounded souls, wayward upstarts, would spur each other on to tap into something bigger, realer. Starring Mandy Moore and featuring Eben Moss Bacharach as Shel Silverstein and TJ Osborne as Johnny Cash, alongside a full ensemble cast. Audible invites you to enter the Boar's Nest and experience the rise of a musical revolution. One woman, one time, one place. The Boar's Nest. Sue Brewer and the birth of Outlaw Country Music. Listen now at audible.com slash the Boar's Nest. In the 1980s, Frank Farian was riding high as a successful German music producer, but he was bored. German pop was formulaic, dull, and oh so white. Frank had bigger dreams, American dreams. He wanted to create the kind of music that would rival larger-than-life artists like Michael Jackson or Run DMC. So he assembled a hip-hop duo, two once-in-a-lifetime talents who were charismatic, full of sex appeal, and phenomenal dancers. The only problem? One very important element was missing, but Frank knew just how to fix that. Wondery's new podcast, Blame It on the Fame, dives into one of pop music's biggest controversies. Millie Vanilli set the world on fire, but when their adoring fans learned about the infamous lip syncing, 
their downfall was swift and brutal. With exclusive interviews from frontman Fab Morvan and his producers Frank Varian and Ingrid Segui, this podcast takes a fresh look at the exploitation of two young Black artists. Follow Blame It on the Fame wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen to Blame It on the Fame early and ad-free by joining Wondery+. Plus. We're back with Bruce Hedlum and Amanda Shires. So was there music in your family growing up? Was there always music around the house? There was music in my mom's house and in at my granddad's and dad's. They, they do wholesale greenhouse stuff where you grow plants and stuff for your nurseries. Mm-hmm. So there was music playing on the radio and stuff there. And then in the pecan orchards, it was just turn the tractor radio up as loud as you could get it. But my grandfather that I was very close to, Garland, he wasn't of the generation where I don't think they thought that playing music was going to get you anywhere. Because he had a guitar, but it was just in his closet. And then but you started with violin. Is that Was that your first? Uh, yeah, violin. I got that violin and I started playing in school. And then I met Frankie McCorder from the Texas Playboys and uh, started learning by ear from him on his porch and uh, was going to quit violin. And then my mom said, how about you do violin? And we could parallel that with the fiddle and I said, that sounds like a sweet deal. What was it like to sit on his porch and learn those old Texas Playboy songs? Because that's some, that's very high-end fiddling. That's a lot of jazz. <laughs> All that Western swing stuff is really, it's pretty accomplished. I, I was what they call ate up with it. It was my joy not just to hang out with him and listen to him talk and sing, but to learn. And then even go deeper. Like he learned from the first recorded fiddler, Eck Robertson and learn songs that predate the Wills Band and stuff like that. I don't know if there's a lot of audio of them, but I've got tapes and CDs and stuff full of this stuff. And Mm -hmm. I I, I just, somehow, I I don't know why, well, I do know why. I've always been uh, good at making friends with old folks, and I really prefer it because they're decisive and they're set in their ways and um, direct, Mm -hmm. you know? And so I, I do well in that situation, and then the music just... It just spoke to me. So I did that in, um, you know, instrumental music is the way I used to express myself back then because I didn't really have a vocabulary for expression as a 10 or 12-year-old with very little frontal lobe development. Do you remember the first couple songs you learned? The first uh, Bob Wills song I ever learned was Spanish Two-Step. And that is the day I was told my mom I was going to quit playing the violin. She was like, we're going to just do both. (laughs) And then you joined the Texas Playboys for a while. How old were you? Twelve. I would go in and out in between school and when they needed me. You know, they didn't play a whole, whole lot, but it was enough where I f- felt like a member of a band and we had scheduling and logistics and stuff. It wasn't like when you think of touring artists now. But a lot of that was um, they needed somebody to play that low third part, and I was willing to do it. And... Uh, I, didn't, I don't think I really had an ego about any of the music or anything. I was just happy to be there. My stuff worked, and I showed up on time, and um, we all got along well. And eventually they started teaching me how to improvise, and that was a whole new bag of worms. How did they teach you that? In my mind, it's like throw your kid into the swimming pool. They'll eventually swim. They'd take their solos, you know, all night long, and they're like, at some point we're going to point at you, you're going to do your solo, and I'm thinking, okay, well, this could go a lot of different ways, but they're my friends. They'll catch me if I fall. And uh, I did. I I fell and I failed a whole, whole lot, but they kept making me do it. Not making me, giving me the chance to do it. Like we'd play a song like Old Fashioned Love, you know, something easy. 
easy changes. Mm -hmm. And um, all right, Amanda, it's your turn. And I'd have to go step up like I was taking a major solo. Then you learn really quickly that way, you know. Were you listening to records as well of violin players to try and get ideas? I didn't think about getting ideas from anything as far as improvisation until later because I didn't know that that was a, a, a way to do it. But during that time, I was, in order to go to school, high school and junior high and all that, and be part of the kid culture I was in, I had to also maintain what was on the pop radio, rap radio, you know, the uh, Tejano stations. But at home, it was strictly Bob Wills, Tiffany transcriptions. I listened to a lot of, of the individual Texas Playboys' uh, fiddling records, and then my favorite was Louis Tierney, who played with them a lot, so I'd go listen to that song just to hear that part again, and I liked all of them. Mm -hmm. And you're a very gritty violin player. It's sharp. You've got a lot of bite to when you're playing. Like I, mm -hmm. I compare you to somebody like Alison Krauss, who's a very famous fiddler, but she's got a much sweeter sound. You like that really? Is that kind of a Texas sound, that harder sound? I think that's a um, sound that I've kind of developed from listening to rock and roll and fighting with guitars. And it's also got a lot of what I have, which is attitude. I also think that you can do a lot with the texture of sound. Because sometimes I do think it's appropriate to make your violin whistle or or go harmonic scrapey for, for whatever effect you're trying to achieve. And then depending on who's producing, those types of things can be, you know, affected in a way that changes a complete landscape of a song sometimes. Like in that song of Jason's, If We Were Vampires, there's some of that going on. And then Traveling Alone was kind of when I started playing with that idea. And when did the songwriting start? Because of the Playboys, you were, you were on a bunch of albums. You were fiddling for a lot of people. You were sort of a, a side player. When did you start songwriting? I started, you know, I wrote a little goofy poetry. But that would be after I sang for the first time. A lead song. The first time I sang a lead on a song was I had to hold Leon Rausch of the Texas Playboy's hand to sing that song. Uh, that sure would go good. I had pictures and we're just holding hands. I was so scared. But then I started singing and then started doing harmony and trying to, you know, be available when somebody might want harmony or singing. You know, just it just expands your your work a little bit more, I guess. And um, I was play. I was playing fiddle, playing with everybody, singing, and I decided, you know what would supplement my income? I'm going to copy the Texas Playboys, and I'm going to make a little fiddling record. And so I made a little fiddling record, not an artist record, just one to set up on the stage and get a couple of 10 or $15 here and there. Got got about nine, eight or nine fiddle tunes in, and I thought people might want to know like that I could sing in case they ever want me to sing with them too, you know? It's all very entrepreneurial in a way. Were you touring in Texas at this time or were you up in Nashville? Texas still, because I, I, I did just basically all my pre-artist career was in Texas. So I thought, well, I'm going to have to sing a song so people know I can sing harmony and stuff. And I started thinking about what song I would sing. Then I realized you had to pay royalties. And, mm -hmm. um, and then I thought, well, self, what are we going to do? And so I, I made up two songs and I put them on there. Well... Turns out that record was done and I found myself on the road with Billy Joe Shaver. And uh, one night I decided, you know, there's enough room on that table. I'm going to set my CDs right there. 
That's what I'm going to do. And I set my CDs right there. I didn't ask anybody. Didn't know you had to ask. And uh, after the show, he was signing some CDs and he said, is that your record sitting up there with mine? And I said, yep. And he said, guess we'll have to listen to that tomorrow, huh? And I said, oh, you don't have to listen to it. You could just have it and listen to it on your own time. He's like, nope, we're going to have to listen to it. And so we put it on in the car and then we're listening and there's no word. He's not saying anything. He's just got his radars for the cops, you know, driving real fast. And I'm worried. I'm like, whoa, what have I done? And he heard one of the songs on there and he said, you know what you need to do? You need to move to Nashville and become a songwriter. There's no loyalty in, in the side person world. And I thought I was being fired like it was a polite way to fire me. Mm-hmm. So I said, um, no, Billy Joe, I love my job. I don't mind not selling the CDs if you don't want me to. I don't, I really, I don't want to, I really love playing with you. I feel like I'm learning a lot. And um, he said, no, but you, sh- you, you could be a songwriter. If you want to go be a songwriter, you should go be a songwriter. And I was like, I don't know, Billy Joe, I really like playing with you. And then a year later, I told Billy Joe Shaver I was moving to Nashville to um, pursue my dreams of being a waitress. <laughs> and then I started over in uh, Here We Sit. Was there a song you heard? Was there something that inspired you that made you think, I can do this? Like, who were your inspirations back then? I always heard Billy Joe Shaver and thought, I wonder if I could do that one day. And um, just the way he captured exactly what he was feeling in that way. And then I, then I realized that, no, I can't. I have to do the ones that come from me. But the other people I were listening to were everybody from Cindy Walker, all of her songs from the Playboys. I loved that, like... That song, You Don't Know Me, and then, then of course, all of the all of the Waylon Jennings and um, Dolly Parton I listened to, and uh, I listened to acts like Jagged Edge and Destiny's Child and everything, Elliot Smith, and I had, I, then I started working at a record store, and it was just crazy, and then I fell in love with Leonard Cohen, and I was like, that's me, I'm Leonard Cohen. I don't, I don't mean I'm Leonard Cohen, but mm-hmm. that's, I, I identify with that. You went and got your MFA, which not a lot of country writers do. Mm-hmm. What made you want to do that? My life philosophy is like, we're all here to learn and, you know, as nature does grow until we meet our end. So I went to get my MFA like I did when I was learning the fiddle, like with everything I had. When I discovered my passion for writing in words, I wanted to do that and I wanted to know what I was doing and I wanted to be able to make decisions and know the reasons for dis- the decisions I was making and not kind of just go on instinct. Like I wanted to know down to the preposition what the word choices could be and then how they would uh, affect a line or an emotion depending on where and how you used them. And um, I just wanted to be kind of able to do it with purpose and intention and to not second guess myself, but also stay open to criticism should somebody notice something I forgot. But um, for me, I get passionate about something and I want to do it and I want to do it right. And I don't get very passionate about a lot of things, basically just music, writing and painting. Where does that come from? Was someone in your family that way about what they did? No, I think when I think about it historically, I think it's something that's been lost like, I don't know, I'm no historian, but I feel like people used to do a lot more things like read and be into arts and learning. And I'm not trying to sound like an old grandma, but, you know, there's a lot of TV watching going on when you could be 
exploring yourself and the world around you, you know. I always preferred being outside over being inside. Um, yeah, I mean, there's nobody else that I know that really, I mean, my mom was a single mother who eventually became a doctor, but that that was also while she's while she was raising two kids and being a bail bonds lady and working at Price Chopper. Wow. Okay. I think we know where it comes from. That's pretty <laughs> yeah. Okay. Good. All right. So there we go. What was learning to write at an MFA like? What what kind of things did you do, and how did they help your music? I think the MFA was the hardest thing I've ever done. Like I read everything James Joyce ever wrote. I suffered ocular migraines and I lost vision in one of my eyes from reading so much, but it came back, thank God. Um, and, um, you know, we'd do everything from workshops to study Middle English and Old English and, you know, where words came from and vowel shifts and poets. We'd study other poets and their works. And yeah, that, w- that, was, that was really fun, though. It was a lot. Can you tell me a couple of examples in your songs where... You could look at them and say, without that training, I wouldn't have written this song? Oh, yeah, for sure. I wouldn't have written Parking Lot Pirouette without that training. And that's one of my favorite. Like, if if I had to pick one of my favorite songs of my own, it'd be that one. Then White Feather from To the Sunset also. That's when all that was kind of wrapping up. And I wrote it separately. I have a record coming in the spring. None of the songs I would have written without this kind of training that I had because they're going a little bit literary I guess but but still accessible and then with the Christmas record I would say it'd be slow falling snow and some of them would be a lot worse if I hadn't had the training is what it would be it wouldn't be the same level of accuracy of of words to feelings now I am going to put you in the spot because your husband had an online conversation with George Saunders and I think people can find it on YouTube so now, who do you want to do that with? What writers would do you want to speak to? Well, I will say that Jason did do that, but he was never asked by George to write a song for his 10th of December, and I was, and I did, and it was awesome. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I would think Barbara Kingsolver. Mm-hmm. I, I would like to talk to her. I'd like to talk to um, Ada Limon, wonderful poet. And some of them I've already talked to. I mean, Tom Robbins would be fun. Definitely Larry David. We're going to take a quick break, but we'll be back with more from Amanda Shires. Willie Nelson, Waylon Jennings, Chris Christopherson. How did the biggest names in outlaw country start a musical revolution? Through one woman's vision from one tiny living room. Don't miss Mandy Moore as Sue Brewer in the new scripted Audible original, The Boar's Nest. Sue Brewer and the birth of outlaw country music. Discover the true untold story of the extraordinary woman behind the outlaw country music movement and its biggest stars. Brewer helped shape the sound and soul of country music as we know it today, despite never picking up an instrument herself. Lovingly dubbed the Boar's Nest, Sue's place was an intimate staging ground where a new breed of singer-songwriters, wounded souls, wayward upstarts, would spur each other on to tap into something bigger, realer. Starring Mandy Moore and featuring Eben Moss Bacharach as Shel Silverstein and TJ Osborne as Johnny Cash, alongside a full ensemble cast. Audible invites you to enter the Boar's Nest and experience the rise of a musical revolution. One woman, one time, one place. The Boar's Nest. Sue Brewer and the birth of Outlaw Country Music. 
Listen now at audible.com slash the boar's nest. As listeners to this show, you probably consider yourself pretty smart. But how smart is your wallet? When you're looking to upgrade your wallet, it's time to turn to Nerd Wallet. Their expert team of nerds has the financial smarts to help you find the right financial products for you. Before Nerd Wallet, you might have paid for vacations with whatever was in your wallet. But you could have been missing out on miles you didn't even know you were leaving on the table. Now you can get a new card with more miles and more upgrades. What could future you do with more travel rewards? A hotel upgrade? Lounge access? Wherever you go next, make it happen with a smarter travel card. Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. NerdWallet. Finance smarter. As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. In the 1980s, Frank Farian was riding high as a successful German music producer, but he was bored. German pop was formulaic, dull, and oh so white. Frank had bigger dreams, American dreams. He wanted to create the kind of music that would rival larger-than-life artists like Michael Jackson or Run DMC. So he assembled a hip-hop duo, two once-in-a-lifetime talents who were charismatic, full of sex appeal, and phenomenal dancers. The only problem? One very important element was missing, but Frank knew just how to fix that. Wondery's new podcast, Blame It on the Fame, dives into one of pop music's biggest controversies. Millie Vanilli set the world on fire, but when their adoring fans learned about the infamous lip syncing, their downfall was swift and brutal. With exclusive interviews from frontman Fab Morvan and his producers Frank Varian and Ingrid Segui, this podcast takes a fresh look at the exploitation of two young Black artists. Follow Blame It on the Fame wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen to Blame It on the Fame early and ad-free by joining Wondery+. Plus. We're back with Amanda Shire singing her song, Always Christmas Around Here, from her new album, For Christmas. It's quiet right now. The sky has gone dark. A sink full of dishes and laundry to start. A mess in the living room. There's wine all over the couch. My sisters aren't speaking. Who's crying now? It's always Christmas around here. It's always Christmas around here. Compounded interest, no sleeping in. Dad's asking for money, he's in a bad way again. Keep pushing down the trash To keep from taking it out The bread always burns Think we'd use a timer by now It's always Christmas around here It's always Christmas around here Lots of questionable tattoos Silent fights and holy fights Dave's Bassack word views You look forward to a new A new set of days Hoping 
change Maybe we'll win the lottery one day And it's always Christmas around here It's always Christmas around here This brings us around to, I think, just one of the most sharply observed songs on your album, which is uh, Always Christmas Around Here. Can you tell me about that song? You know how folks say every day's Christmas. Like, mm-hmm. when it comes down to it and you're sitting there thinking after, you know, everything's cleaned up and you're looking around just kind of noticing the conversations and enjoying the company with all of its uh, positive and negatives... Just like in the moment, like it just, it's just true. Because you get together this one time a year with with folks that you don't see every day. And um, you're expected to to hang out and agree on all things uh, because you're related. And then you cook a turkey. Like who cooks a turkey in the year outside of Christmas or Thanksgiving? Like why are we going to have the thing we're the worst at making? That's a thing that always bothers me. <laughs> You think about it and you're like, at Christmas, it's just, you drag all this stuff out and you decorate your house with it. But also at the same time, you're still doing the same things you do every every day. Like every day, Jason and I are trying to see who's going to push the trash down the furthest or for the last time and who has to take it out. You know, if that happens on Christmas. It's all just this the, the way life just is all the time but it just happens to be on christmas that's what that song is but it's full of sort of beautiful lines that just kind of sum up that experiences I, I don't remember the precise words but there's wine stains on the carpet and mm-hmm. someone says we'll win the lottery yeah um, it's this incredible kind of slice of life i think that that true experiences to me are are the ways that you can describe the feelings the best in a song. How do you go about writing lyrics then? Do you, do you start with the melody and then add the lyrics? Sometimes I'm like all of all of the writers. You could start with the melody and add lyrics, or maybe you start with a piece of an idea. I'm not one of those that writes to a title. I've never been able to figure that out. You know, a lot of people like write the title and they write to that. But throughout the year, I... I um, take lots of notes and then the notes I put a little like a couplet or a line or something on an index card and I store them in my index card bins and then when I feel like the well is full I start taping them around my house like you can't tell right now but a lot of the walls are white so all the index cards go up and the painter's tape goes up and then I just kind of synthesize all that and um pull out my little um voice memo recorder to see what melodies I have and then you start writing one or two and then it just pours out of you. Wow. So you tape them all over the house? I used to only do it in the closet because I was afraid of of judgment within my family and then I um, realized that that was silly. Then I started, they started coming out of the little closet into the bathroom into the master bedroom and it only got tricky once when Jason ripped a line from me and I had to tell him that that wasn't how this was going to work. <laughs> and, um, Did you just say, like, just tape up your own damn cards, Jason? 
I said, I realize what's happened here that, you know, it's impossible to not read the words that are on the wall, but uh, it infiltrated your unconscious, and that's my line, and we have to be careful about that. Mm-hmm. But I also, I don't mind sharing, you know. I, I always tell them that I've got lines for days. <laughs> <laughs> are, are you one of those people for it just comes easily, that lines come? I mean, I don't know what it's like to be a different type of person, but I think that I stay in a particular mindset so that way I can always find it, you know. I don't shut I don't shut it down that part. I, I write a little every day and um I still find beautiful lines and books and poems and room to get better. And I don't shut the part of my mind off that also shuts down imagination. So like I guess you could call it a little bit of your silly, like, self. you got to keep some kind of, like, part of you that's open and spontaneous and can find magic in, like, I don't know, looking at rocks. That's interesting because for so many people, you mentioned worrying about your family's judgment. That fear of judgment is what keeps them from being able to write. You don't feel that? I I used to feel that a whole lot, and... um, I don't know if it's age and going to school and studying under Andrew Hudgens, but I don't feel that way because it's impossible to, based on some words, get a whole clear picture of what is in anybody's mind. Because, you know, truly, like if any other songwriter took one of my little index cards words and it wasn't Jason, probably wouldn't even be very good. Mm-hmm. This is positive self-talk with Amanda Shires. Um, this is how you do it. You be you be confident in yourself. You know what the hell you're doing. And then if anybody has questions, you can choose to answer them or not. And um, as far as judgment, that all kind of comes after the record's out. So you have time to fix it in between now and then. How many drafts do you typically do of songs? Lots. Like a song on this album, how many, how many would you have done? I have 47 verses to Gone for Christmas. Oh, you're kidding. No, no. I, and I have I have pages on pages of always Christmas around here. Recently, um, my producer, Lawrence Rothman, is, is insisting that I don't shred them for six months uh, just so I could look at the process on my own better. This is going to sound like a silly question, but a lot of people I ask this question to have very specific answers. Is there a kind of notebook you write in? Yeah, I, I like the I like a specific notebook, but um, I don't keep them. Like I shred them after I put the notes onto the cards, and they go into my little index card bins. I sh- they all go in the shredder, and the shredded paper goes into the compost, and then I use it in my garden. Why do you shred them? Because the whole place would be a tinderbox. <laughs> okay, this is just a storage issue. It's not you hate them. Or... <laughs> well, and honestly, like it's a little bit like that that idea of if somebody saw my Google search history. They would really think something was wrong with me. But sometimes you have to know the details about, you know, turquoise mines. And then simultaneously, you need to know the exact weight of a sash weight to use in a a particular fight that some characters might have. And exactly what is strychnine and stuff like that. Would would strychnine just be after uh, the Google search, my husband stole my lyrics? (laughs) Yes. Yes, definitely. After I Amazon ordered a knife sharpener. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Jokes. But there's there there is that thing where like you have all these pieces of paper everywhere and then then they're left to interpretation kind of like like I kind of think I feel like it's shitty that they released Marilyn Monroe's diary, but I guess that's the risk you run if you leave your diary. 
so you wrote 47 verses and then do you try and put some together or you just like you stroke off, like you, you get rid of 44 of them or I can't remember how many verses are in the song. I, <laughs> some people say way too many and some people say not enough. The way I do it is I try some out in the studio. Like I bring my favorite, like with that one, I brought my favorite 20 in and mm-hmm. then I tried some out. And then as you go and you follow the thing that makes it the most fit fits the best and then the other ones could be another version if they wanted to be mm-hmm. if you know they decide to be for christmas number two so you are leonard cohen because that's how he wrote he wrote hundreds of verses for songs well I'm not, i don't always do that because home to me i just wrote that in one go tell me about the last song you're doing for us which is uh, a real tree this one's a funny song i always i always like the idea of um Things that happen around the holidays, you know, like new love interests or, um, it, it, well, really, I think we know what I'm talking about here. It's a, it's a, instead of a fake tree, this lady's found herself a real tree. And, um, I guess it's a euphemism. Christmas is a time for romance and booty calls and sadness and nostalgia and all the things, right? Like, it'd be like, just trying to, like, that's the point of the record. You can listen to a lot of Christmas records, and it's it's either hymns, which are great, or uh, everything's really happy and snowing. Right, and this is all the rest of that stuff. That's what's so great about this album. This is all the rest of the stuff you're forgetting about. Yeah, you're forgetting about the part where you can find love or or divorce. <laughs> <laughs> Should I check in with you again after Christmas just to make sure you're? I mean, why not? I mean, might as well. Okay, I just want to know which way it goes this year. <laughs> right, right. Let's dress you up to be seen. I've been looking forward to this for 52 weeks. I got feathers, gold, and silver beads. Garland and up to cover all six glorious feet of you. I got a real tree this year Smells like menthols and Old Spice A real tree this year Took my fake one to the roadside Tonight I'm putting you in bows A red velvet skirt I'm dripping you
catch myself staring a real tree this year. There's just no comparing. No. It's been just delightful talking to you. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks to Amanda Shires for singing some songs from her new holiday album for Christmas. You can hear it and check out a playlist of our favorite Amanda Shires songs at brokenrecordpodcast.com. We'll also post a holiday playlist curated by our Broken Record team. You can follow us on Twitter at Broken Record. Broken Record is produced with help from Leah Rose, Jason Gambrell, Martin Gonzalez, Eric Sandler, and Jennifer Sanchez. With engineering help from Nick Chafee. Our executive producer is Mia LaBelle. Broken Record is a production of Pushkin Industries. If you love this show and others from Pushkin, consider subscribing to Pushkin Plus. Pushkin Plus is a podcast subscription that offers bonus content and uninterrupted ad-free listening for $4.99 a month. Look for Pushkin Plus on Apple Podcast subscriptions. And please remember to share, rate, and review us on your podcast app. Our theme music's by Kenny Beats. I'm Justin Richmond. Musora is your access to online music lessons for guitar, piano, drums, and singing. This is your chance to reignite some old musical passions or pick up an instrument for the first time. Connect with more than 100 of the world's best teachers and musicians. You'll get seven days totally free to try it out. And then it's just $30 a month, less than a single private lesson. I mean, why do we do Broken Record? Not just because we love hearing from great musicians. We do it because we think that there is something beautiful about the appreciation of music. Don't you think we need more of that in our lives these days? That's the mission of Musora, to inspire, educate, and connect musicians. Enjoy unlimited personal support, weekly live streams, student lesson plans. It's like having a personal music teacher, only much, much better. Just go to musora.com, M-U-S-O-R-A.com, to start a new musical journey today. The tradition of breaking tradition continues with the return of the unconventional awards from T-Mobile for Business at Mobile World Congress. This is an event that celebrates innovators whose bold actions took their industries to new places. If that sounds like you and you're a T-Mobile for Business customer, enter today. If you win, you'll be publicly honored amongst some of the most influential leaders in industry. And me, I'll be there too. Enter now at tmobile.com slash unconventional awards. See you there. You deserve a moment to yourself every single day. And a delicious bite of a Keebler Sandies can give you that comforting pause. Bring along the melt-in-your-mouth magic of a Keebler Sandies to add a sprinkle of joy to your workday. This magic is baked into simple shortbread cookies by Ernie and the Keebler Elves. So as life continues to fly by, make the most of your me moment. Take a pause and enjoy a Keebler Sandies.